0: Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we're enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside of your business. Today, we're with Goose McGrath, our property portfolio growth partners. Charlie, that was the greatest hand gestures I've ever seen in my life. Uh, this is actually part I, I, number I two. I know
1: that. I absolutely know that. I've been thinking about it for a while. I've been if, thinking about it. If it like, are, this is this the one? I'm doing it. If, if people are listening to this audio, they're like, what the hell are you talking about?
0: <laughs> Charlie's like dancing at me. Uh, Now, if you you haven't heard part number one, head over and listen to part number one. It is the greatest precursor to what we're going to be talking into this one. Uh, We're on the episode with Goose McGrath, our property portfolio growth partners. Now, if you want to continue the conversation, head over to Facebook, join the full stack business owner community Facebook group. We're talking all things investment in this one. Uh, Now, before we get started, Charlie, let's cue your disclaimer.
1: Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way shape or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into the next one here though because there's some still I feel like we've got to jump into the next MythBuster here and this mm. one I actually picked this up from your podcast when I tuned it in which shout out to the Investor Lab um, I think it's a great podcast Love we it. produce it at Valor but also I enjoy it I'm a fan now. Uh, In a recent episode with you and Gabby, I heard something that was, again, made my head turn because it challenged me. It really challenged me. I've been looking at uh, interest rates going up and my attitude to what I've been doing with my business income is paying down debt. I'm like, Mm. I know how I'm going to deal with uh, raising interest rates and here is like the best thing I can do at the moment is just pay down debt because that's how I can look after myself or sell down an asset. So Mm. I really loved a point you made on the podcast and I'd love for you to riff on it that if you're in a situation where perhaps you're trying to beat interest rates or reduce debt as your way of not having these incurred costs, that there's other ways to tackle it. So if you could share your
2: insight and story from that one, it'd be great, Goose. Totally. I mean, I think there's there's multiple ways to tackle it, right? So um, you can park your savings in offset, which is a really good way to reduce your, your... That's what I'm doing right now. That's the Charlie... Then. Honestly, Bitto. that's what I'm doing right now too. Like we, like as we're saving, we're just like putting it all in the offset accounts, so it minimizes the impact of any interest rate rises, etc. Right? I'll also just go on the record of saying I'm actually in the process of leveraging up our portfolio and extracting equity out of it. So I'm actually in the process of taking on more debt right now because of how I feel and what I can see in the environment. So this is me walking the walk as well. But parking parking your um parking your savings as you're saving into your offset is a really good way to offset the the cost of debt. That's a, and if you don't have an offset account, maybe talk to your broker about all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, but what I what is actually really and so then, there's, then there's two other kind of ways. Number one, you've got you've got market movements. So, uh. In the, last, just over, in the last just over 24 months, rents have risen nationally by 33.86%. And in some locations, they've actually gone way more than that. And anecdotally, I can tell you that we had one of our properties um, which had a nearly 20% rental increase in 12 months, which is huge, right? So we have this rental pressure, upwards pressure. And structurally, I don't actually think anything's going to change. So one of the big issues in, in a high interest rate environment or, in, or an environment where interest rates are going up is that... Um, the affordability of property investment goes down. So with prices, we've kind of covered that. We're all good. Prices are all sweet. Um, they're they're going to do what they're going to do based on other things that are not interest rates. Doesn't mean they're always going to go up. Markets are always going down somewhere. All good, but th- it's unrelated. However, interest rates have a direct relationship into investor affordability and how you can efficiently and successfully build your property portfolio without without you know losing heaps of money or without it becoming a huge stress on your household. So. Um, a couple of things to kind of think about here is um, what is so rents uh, are rents ra- rents are rent rising at, at an unprecedented rate, like the fastest rate they've risen in like, as far as I can see in the data, it's ridiculous how fast they're growing. Now, people might think that that is um a temporary thing, but I would actually posit that that is not a temporary thing. There are some pretty major um, structural problems in the rental sector in Australia, which are driving which are driving rents up. So. You know, there's international migration. So the target for the next for this financial year is 195,000 uh, uh, net overseas migration coming into Australia. The target by 2024 is 235,000 annually ongoing from from 2020 and 2024. So that is huge. Building it's like prud- 4,000 people a week. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. It's great changing population by percentages like yeah exactly huge. which is huge when you have when you have uh you know when you have such a large like a percentage doesn't it doesn't matter when you're working with a dollar but when you're working with like a billion dollars a percentage matters a lot right so correct so the 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 the, the, the law of large numbers changes the the impact significantly what would you how would you feel if I told you that not only are we cre- increasing net overseas migration and not only are more people trying, to, more people moving into the rental market, but in fact, building approvals had dropped by 25% over the last 12 months.
1: I'm too biased to answer that question. Like <laughs> I'm probably too deep into this, but like I have friends who are developers that are just not building because it's not a great time for them. They're just land banking and waiting until they can make a profit. And I would probably do the same. If I was a business owner, why would I produce when I'm not going to make money? Exactly. So that's a huge
2: one. Exactly. And so- to put that in context, we already had a massive de- so pre-COVID, right? Pre-COVID, when it all everything kind of had a big, big break, a big halftime, a big kind of um, a, a long lunch, we already had a massive deficit in in available houses, right? So we were already net net negative by don't quote me on this exactly, but I think it was about four hundred and fifty thousand houses short of what we needed to house everyone in Australia, right? So. That's crazy. Then we had COVID. <laughs> so, and then um, and now building approval rates down by tw- specifically 25.9% um, over the last 12 months. That was a July 2022 figures, which are the most recent figures. Those approval rates are not because the government is not approving properties and, and putting big crosses on, on permits. It's because people aren't putting in the permits because they can't build the properties because they either don't have the people, don't have the materials, can't be- you know, the timeline to build a property right now is two to three years in many places. It's wild, right? So we're actually not building any more properties. Not only that, from the rental side, as we touched on earlier, home, specifically new home ownership affordability has gone down. So for someone who is uh, wanting to buy their first home, it is harder to do that today than it was 18 months ago, right, or 24 months ago. And that is because of the change in interest rates. So what happens to them if they can't buy a home? They stay in the rental pool that doesn't stop more people entering the renter pool. So, you know, if you stereotypically think that when when um, the children turn 18, they move out of home and they start renting, and just use that as a metric, right? We've still got people turning 18 and moving out of home and renting, but we don't have people exiting that renter pool at the same rate because they can't, they structurally can't because there's not enough properties and the new home ownership affordability has gone down. So all of a sudden you have this rapidly expanding Banding pressure in the rental market which is driving prices up vacancy rates are at record record lows lowest they've ever been in the history of the country i'm not sitting here saying that is a good thing socially that sucks right i i i don't i am a capitalist and also a bleeding heart left at the same time. Like, I really care about making sure there is enough welfare for the people that need it. I don't think it should be like a a survival of the fittest and, you know, like, I I genuinely want people to be okay. Um, But just look at the facts of the situation. That is the structural thing. Now, on a policy level, there is nothing that is moving to change that. I don't believe there's been talk of rental freezes and stuff. I don't believe that's going to happen because it's failed in multiple other countries. In fact, if you look at if you look at Ireland, they did something similar over there and it completely decimated their market. And in fact, there's, I think, 100 and, 150 rental properties uh, in the entirety of Ireland. It's something ridiculous like that because, because everyone got out of it, which means that people can't find places to rent, which means you end up with hundreds of people trying to get into a single home. So, it actually made mm. the situation worse. So, I really don't think we're going to go down that path, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a huge amount of upward pressure on rents. Now- that is not just an Australian thing. That is actually a global trend. So you see the same thing playing out all through the US as well. And we're moving to be a nation of renters, which also lends into a back to the point that I was making earlier around, around mobility. People want to be able to move around, live where they want, have different experiences, all of that kind of stuff, because they can, because everyone's able to work, more people are able to work more remotely. And so you've got this kind of access versus ownership mem- uh, mega trend as well, which is you know the Ubers and all of that kind of stuff are picked up on the access versus ownership trend as well. So I think that... On on a uh, macro I think this trend is going to continue for a really long time and so what we're actually finding is that yields are rent so rents like Absolute rents are massively changing, but also absolute gross yields are starting to change as well. Because during the kind of the boom period um, during COVID, we actually found that there was a massive amount of yield compression. So prices, property prices were growing significantly faster than rental prices. And so what happened is that the top line, the gross yield, was actually getting squeezed and you sort of went from seven to six to five. And it was getting harder and harder to find um, sufficiently good yielding properties. Now the property market generally is returning to a state of normality, which is good, which is very, very good for everyone. Um, but rents are continuing to grow, so what we're actually starting to see is we're actually just starting to see the transition of that trend, where where yields, not everywhere, but in many places, are starting to push up again, which is a really, really good sign for investors. So rents are going up massively, yields are starting to come back up again as well, and I believe that they'll have to normalise too, and so. Off the back of all of this, you can then start to think, okay, well, strategically, what does my portfolio need? Because, Charlie, you mentioned, you know, oh, maybe I could sell an asset and relieve myself of some of the debt or I could do the – you know, personally, I actually don't think that that is a good idea. I think that the more the, – the, the successful people play a longer game, I don't think people should be making emotional decisions right now. Um but also, you can actually think about what could you add to your portfolio to change the dynamic. So just like in business, right? Let's say you've got a service business and um, it's relatively low margin because you've got heaps of people in there and whatever. And let's just say for some reason your margins get squeezed and you're like, oh, my God, um, I, the margins, my margins are getting squeezed. I'm not sure if I'm going to make any profit. What do I do, sell the business? Or do you maybe think about, what kind of product or service could I add that would add value to the market, but then also would be a, a higher profit margin product, which would potentially require less input, so I can increase my net margins? Right. So, for example, let's say you're a let's say you're a, a digital marketing agency. You might decide to put out a digital marketing course, right, because it's ninety nine percent profit, and you could use that to supplement um, the profits of the rest of the business while you move through a bit of a cycle of increased costs. You can think about the same thing in your property portfolio. So some ways to think about doing that. And again, this is very situationally dependent, depends on the market, depends on the specific asset, Depends on your loan conditions, depends on your capital allocation and all of this kind of stuff. You can actually look at things like, is it the right time to buy a unit block to add more cash flow into your portfolio? Should I consider buying a, a HMO or a rooming house in the right location where that's going to be well supported to add more cash flow in your, in your portfolio? The point here is that you can, instead of just following the herd and going, ah, either I'm going to do nothing and freeze and be scared or I'm going to freak out and sell uh, all of my assets – What could you do to expand versus contract? And we talked about this at the start of the episode. When you're in times like this, business owners, really there's only two camps. You either conserve and and contract or you expand and grow. And just to be super clear, I'm a really bad – I'm a really bad share investor, right? I don't have much in shares, like you know, it's in the single digit thousands, right? <laughs> and I actually said to Gabby last night, I got up from the couch. So Gabby's my partner. For those who don't know, uh, who are listening, she's my partner. I got up off the couch last night uh, in a very determined way. She said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm going to sell all my shares." And she said, "Why?" I said, "Because they're all they're all going bad, and I, I think they're all <laughs> going to go down." And she, <laughs> and she you rational she's,
0: human being, well, <laughs> I know, I know, right? And
2: and she just said to me, she said. But Goose, remember, you only lose when you sell. And I was like, Yeah, okay, that's a good point. And I should just I should just stop looking at them. That's the easiest way to to, to or, navigate or, this. Or
0: or when you get forced to sell like some of my shares did. I'm like, I didn't sell these things. No, I got forced to sell them.
2: Oh no. So, you know, and I think I think that there's I think there's a lot of lessons in uh, I think there's a lot of lessons in that around in around controlling your emotion and thinking about what you could do to what you could do to significantly expand.
0: And I really, I really relate that back to business because there's one point that I always come back to, which is like, are you playing business to win or are you playing business not to lose? And this comes back to that whole concept of uh, I get it, and it, but it's it it's goes against the grain of what people want to do, right? Like there's so few people who say, oh, my gosh, we're stepping into a recession. I'm going to leverage up and I'm going to go running and things like that, right? Most people will bunker down, sort of batten the hatches and go, I'm going to wait for the storm to go over because that's what – intuitively, it's a fight or flight, right? And so, it's, it takes a lot of effort to go against that that thing that is built inside the back of our heads, which is intuitive to us as human beings, not necessarily just in business or just in investments. Like, this is what we do. This is someone's like attacking us. I'm, I, I'm couldn't, I, couldn't,
2: I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, so here I am being a bastion of truth and trying to tell people actually things aren't as bad as they seem. There's a lot of like upward mobility in the economy and property and everything like that. I'm like... I look at the facts. I don't read the news that often. I was reading the news the other night, different night, different night to the one where I was selling my <laughs> shares, right? Uh, but I was reading. I, I, I was don't know. know. It I sounds don't very, know. like it might relate. Just gonna put it out there. <laughs> I, what, it's the couch. Every time <laughs> yeah. I go to the couch, I end up reading bad news, right? And so, and so, and so, I I was reading all of these bad news stories. I, honestly, I was like reading all these bad news stories, like housing market's gonna crash and all of this kind of stuff. And I didn't even realize what was happening, but I started to believe it. I actually went to bed and was laying in bed, and I was thinking, "Man, what am I going to do? Like, what what am I going to do? Everything is everything's going to be over. How am I going to get through this?" And then I was like, "Whoa, it happened. I got brainwashed in a really in a blink of a, in a blink of an eye." And I just want to um, Charlie, I can see you want to say something there because that that really caught me to just like guard my mind massively and to look at the facts because I was like, "Damn it! I, even I am getting." getting blindsided by this negativity and back to your point uh, around like how to behave in a recession so just to be clear you know there's a lot of economic runctions going on stock markets going down inflation's up interest rates are going there's a lot there's a lot going on right now so I think we can all agree that um, there's a degree of uncertainty regardless of who you are and how what you think you know there's a degree of uncertainty right when all of this started started I uh, and over the last couple of months I thought to myself, if I and when I realised that consumer sentiment was about the same level as April 2020, I asked myself a simple question: If I could go back to April 2020, what would I have done differently? And the answer to that was to grow as hard as I could, right? Because I knew that that was the right answer. The same thing if you go, if you if and 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 I was like, I was just like, imagine where we'd be today. Same thing if you could go, if you could go back to the GFC, if you could go back to you know 2008, 2009 what would you do differently? Would you buy every property that you could find? Would you rapidly see how fast you could expand your business? What would you do differently then that you can actually, you can learn from that. You can learn from history and you can apply it now. Now, I'm not saying be risky and be careless. In fact, the opposite. I'm I'm saying make informed, intelligent decisions about your business and real estate. But what would you have done differently? Sorry, Charlie.
1: I feel like you're describing me, Goose. That was exactly what I did during the pandemic. (laughs) It was a very difficult thing to do, though. I must admit, and, like, there's – obviously, I get to claim the glory now of how well my property portfolio is done and go, look look how smart I am, you know. Look at this, really. uh, But the other side of it is I don't think people necessarily understand the stress and concern I had while doing it. Like, every time we bought some fairly large properties and, like, I would take on, let's say, a million dollars of debt – and then I'd turn on the news and be like, yeah, all these people have died. There's a new variant. There's all the- You can get locked down in Melbourne again. For the- and like it was quite difficult mentally to deal with. And at many times I was like, I-, I, need- I-, 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 "I out, out, like almost like a malfunction on my brain. I think there's a layer deeper to this though, and this is the thing that I really uh, hit with. Many business owners particularly have this belief that their business can- is all going to fall apart. So it's just going to end. So like there's this real deep concern that the thing they've built can just dis- disappear or evaporate. We hear things like 90% of businesses fail in the first five years. We look at the ups and downs and challenges across our journey and you can see that if you've got that deeply wired in you that this could all go away, throw a news cycle on, how difficult it is to act in that environment. And um, it, it's just such the psychology of markets and how it all comes together fascinates me to no end and i, I try to be a uh, better investor for it and business owner now and kind of not uh, lean into that and to your point goose protect my mind but i uh look at that again and just really want to go to just how hard that is this isn't easy what we're doing here and like i'm sure you've had your doubts and moments across like even now thinking about trying to grow Right as, as I have, like I've, I've had my fear moments. I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast has had their fear moments, but it's a incredibly powerful thing to cultivate. Now I'm going to say this one here, I'm going to go, we've busted myth number two here straight out of the gate, that the only way to behave in this is to pay down debt or sell down assets. Like expansion can have a role here. And you mentioned some really good points here, I just want to recap is that rents are going up and I'm sure we can all concur to personal experiences of rents going up. We look at the other side where it's like adding in that uh, higher margin product could actually be the better way to tackle this for some people. And I'll throw in one of my own. My own strategy here is actually, well, business is, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, great. I'm going to expand in business and my superpower is going to be that if I want to buy more investments or pay off debt or do any of the in-between, that I'm going to have that ability. And I think that if people can lean into that, their chances of them – Having success would be high likely. Not personalised financial advice.
2: Don't do anything
1: dumb. If you listen to three guys on a podcast and treat that as a source of truth, maybe you deserve to lose your money. Um. <laughs> yeah, I just I just add on
2: that, Charlie, because we've spoken about this before about the competitive advantage the business owners have when it comes to investing in property, and. I don't want to I don't I am not about division I'm about unification but there's definitely advantages for business owners right now there's definitely advantages for business owners right now if you're definitely. a single income if you're a single income family and you own three properties and they they were cash flow neutral a year ago and then they suddenly and you've got three kids and suddenly your portfolio goes negative by 10 grand a year that could be really significantly detrimental now if you're a business owner and you have an additional ten thousand dollar expense in a year. What are you going to do? <laughs> the good, go the, make the, ten gra- actually I'll go make twenty just to make <coughs> sure. Bingo! Out bingo! You know the, the way to the way to rationalize the way to rationalize expenses is to grow more. Now <laughs> I'm not talking about being a, a sloppy business owner, but like you know, you 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 grow. You can grow your way through it. And so um, there is an advantage there for business owners, particularly in this environment. And um, yeah, I think, I think that people should be paying attention to what advantages they do have in situations like this.
1: Mm. All right, well, I'm going to call that myth busted, guys. I might even try. Can, can we get one of our team to make like a really cool like myth Duk. buster thing and put our faces on it for the <laughs> thumbnail of this episode, please?
2: <laughs> totally. Uh,
1: so as uh, they are listening to that, let's do that. I want to go on to the next one though because I think this is one that, um, mm. again, I'll self-confess, I've felt it where it's like, it's better to wait until things settle down before I do anything. Like mm-hmm. I found myself, and I I hate admitting this, but I will, I'm going to wait until the RBA stops raising rates. I'm going to wait until the Ukraine thing works out. I'm going to wait until the supply chains, like I'm going to let these things mm-hmm. settle before I do anything. It's better to wait. And I would have to say that that is a lot of the consensus thinking overall. How do you feel about that, Goose?
2: Um, I'm going to quote Warren Buffett on this. So Warren Buffett um, has a great, uh, I got a great snippet out of an article I read actually. It's not like one of his like quotes, I don't think. But markets don't settle down, they settle up. By the time the news looks a little bit better, the market has already recovered. And if you miss the recovery, there's a very, very good chance you're going to make it harder to hit your financial goals. That was a direct uh, excerpt of an article, uh, an interview with Warren Buffett, which is awesome, right? Which is so true. Now, if you look at uh, markets generally, like let's just take a suburb property market right so what you tend to see is there's typically kind of like four phases there's four phases of growth in any market there's the early adopters who get in when it's an emerging market which is typically what we tend to do and then you kind of, kind, of, kind of got the early majority when people start hearing about it, but they're not, they, you know, they're, they're sort of proven and they can feel like, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's already a hotspot. And then it becomes, a, it's kind of like that's when it's becoming a hotspot. It's becoming like the consensus, oh, that's a good place to invest. And then you have the, um, and then you kind of have the the, the second and thir- the third and fourth quarters, right? So the third quarter, people are still getting in at an okay time, right? But they're literally in the third quarter. If you think of there's four quarters in a growth cycle, they're literally getting in after half time so they're only playing half the game for a start right then there's the people who enter in in the fourth quarter they're usually the ones who lose money but here's the thing right and i actually don't have the actual stats to back this up you just you just described my bitcoin journey so um. (laughs) dude same dude totally right totally i'm this is why i stick to what i know real estate investing right because (laughs) <laughs> so, but here's the thing: like the it's not it's not an even distribution of people. You know, like you have the smallest number of people get in in the first quarter, the second smallest number of people get in in the second quarter. You know, the the second biggest number of people get in the third quarter, but the significant majority, like over 50, percent probably 75 percent of people, get in in the fourth quarter, right? And so that's why you have a lot of people who aren't successful in in uh, real estate investing, which is a and it's a significant problem, right? So 99 percent of property investors never achieve their goals. You need on average, about five properties in order to achieve whatever your financial metric is, right? Whether it be 80 grand or 150, whatever that is, but depending on your time horizon, you're going to need about five properties unless you're going to wait 30 years. And 99% of property investors never get to five properties. In fact, 90% never get past two. And there's a reason for that, is because most people suck, right? And they get in at the wrong time. <laughs> and they, no, yeah. sorry, let me, re- let me rephrase that. Their decisions suck, That's right? better. Their decision. The people don't. There's nothing wrong with the people, but the choices they make are bad ones. And they get into markets too late. They get poor advice and all of that kind of stuff. And so, um, this idea of waiting until things get better means you've already missed it. Like you've already missed the opportunity. So, um, the people who can, the people who can make the greatest gains are the ones who can think in decades, not days. The shorter, the shorter your thinking cycle, right? the, The closer that you think about your decisions. Is, is directly correlated, in my opinion, to the success that you're going to have, right? Because if you're thinking, what am I going to do next week, or next month, strategically in my business or in my real estate portfolio, you're probably going to make a whole bunch of poor decisions versus what does this look like over, over three, five, 10-year kind of time horizon. That's where you can actually make um, the biggest, biggest gains. And again, going back to what we were saying earlier, um, back in COVID, I was freaking out as well, right? So now, to be clear, we made really data-centric, data-oriented, and data-informed decisions around real estate investing, but I was melting down around heaps of other stuff. Like, it was a freakishly hard time for a lot of people. But again, if I could go back, what would I do differently and how would I approach that differently? And what, can, what have I learned through the passage of time to be true? What I've learned from the passage of time to be true is that – the the entrepreneurs versus the business owners, right? So, th- so uh, like there's an interesting kind of distinction I read in a book uh, book the other day. The business owners find um, kind of like see where the market is going. They look at what people are doing in a business model and they pick that business model and they go, great, I can kind of grow a little bit of that and get a piece of the pie. But entrepreneurs, the ones who really disrupt things, who really do things differently, they're the ones that have an asymmetrical return on their time, energy, effort, impact, right? They're the they're the ones that that make the the unicorn companies. They do all of this kind of stuff, and it reco- there's there's obviously gradients of that, that's not an absolute binary um, kind of output, but in, I believe that in order to be successful, you have to be able to challenge the consensus thinking and make make decisions based on facts and not fear, that is, and that is the kind of environment we're in right now, and if you really just want to look at it, Charlie, you mentioned like oh, inflation's up, uh, interest rates are going up and all of that kind of stuff, I am human and also a business owner, and yes, I get scared. We all do. Whenever I get scared, I just go, well, what evidence do I have to support the, the theories or the thoughts that are in my mind? And I literally just go looking for facts. I don't, and I'm coming from a place of fear, right? So I'm actually not looking for facts to prove a thesis. I'm just, I'm like, ah, I'm scared. I'm looking, what am I looking for? So you're kind of in a bit of a forest of, of noise. If we look at interest rate rises over the last 30 years, over the last 30 years, and I was looking at it just before we came on this podcast, um, the longest trough to peak run upward you know interest rate rise run was only about 24 months right that's the largest that is the biggest upward trend in interest rates or so the longest period of time interest rates have gone up was about 24 months right on average it's usually you know 12 months or less in many cases only eight months now i'm not saying that that is going to be the case right now just to be clear i'm not saying interest rates are going to come down in eight months time but that's but, all right i'll say
1: it I, they're <laughs> tightening into a crashing economy it's not going to go over 24 months i'll go on the record charlie's
2: bet speculation i mean no, twenty-four months. I'm down with that, right? I'm super down with that, right? So, so I I am on the record as well of saying that I believe by mid 2024, interest rates will be down again, right? Because they, are, they I believe that they still have a little way to go at the time of recording this podcast, right? I don't want to I don't want to date it too much, but at the time of recording this podcast, I think interest rates have still got a little way to go. But it's like, okay, we've already kind of talked about how you can kind of navigate that, you know, financially and emotionally and all of that kind of stuff. So all good. Um, Inflation is inflation has gone up before, and they're really taking—I actually think—good steps to kind of get that under control, so we don't end up with a situation like the '70s. The uh, they're going to be putting the brakes on the economy by increasing uh, the interest rate at some point, so it's going to slow down. They're going to have to return to their kind of like previous monetary policy. If you look at the last 30 years of trend, it's a massive downward trend. It went 30 years ago, the, um, the fixed interest mortgage rate was about 16% and now it's, whatever, like 5%, right? So it's dropped quite a lot over the last 30 years. That's a trend. So I think that this is a temporary situation. Now, whether that be a 12 month or a 24 month um, temporary situation, time will tell my robust belief based on the information that i can look at and even the rba is saying that inflation will be back to target by mid 2024 based on the actions that they're taking and so you've kind of got a lot of things pointing to the fact that historically we haven't had interest rates go up for a significant period of time um inflation is probably going to get back under control in fact there's already signs that in that that um cpi is starting to soften as well like the price of salmon is going down and there's like like all of these things that have kind of you know the spot price of shipping containers is down you know like there's lots of uh, interest factors which indicate that we're actually passing a crest, but it takes time. It takes time for us to pass a crest. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not I'm not building my property portfolio or my business for an end goal that is in 2023. I don't know about you guys, right? I'm not building my, my property portfolio or my business for an end goal that is in 2024, right? So, so if you're playing uh, the game at the right level, then this shouldn't really matter. And in fact, situations like this- cause you to develop resilience they're not a reason to quit they're a, they're a reason to actually find ways to innovate and innovating can be innovating in the way that you're thinking and the way that you're approaching the situation the w- an in- interesting opportunity to grow like an interesting opportunity to say how did people deal with this in the past how can i manage my fear what can i do now because if you have a belief that this will pass then you should be doing everything you can to make sure you don't make emotional, irrational decisions whilst you're in the moment. Just like if, you, if someone uh, upsets you or annoys you, rather than just responding straight away with, a, with an insult to them, you should take some time, gather your emotions and then make a, an appropriate response. And you should do the same kind of thing in this environment. So I believe it's transitory and I believe that this is a really good opportunity for people to, to flex on personal development, personal growth to be able to get through it.
1: I love so much about what you just said, Goose. I had this insight: everything's transitory. It's like I find it really fascinating. Like the the thing again with you know human psychology is we tend to have this idea that whatever is going on right now is just going to keep going forever, and it and it never does. So, like in let's go back to the GFC. Like when things get bad, it might go bad for two years, and then. Yep governments, people, banks step in. And then it goes good, it goes too good, and then guess what? Governments, banks and people step in to cool it down. Like it seems to me that as long as you can set yourself up to survive, uh, in this case, and this is only – I'm not saying this is how long in general, but if you can always have enough in reserve to survive any two to three-year window without doing yourself in, like surely if things get that bad, governments will step in. Or if they get too good, governments will step in. Like, or and I'm not trying to pick on the governments here, but it just seems if you trace
2: history that someone steps in yep. always to have this happen. the The only um, counter argument to that would be if you truly believed that there was going to be a complete economic and societal collapse, like the fundamental. Ecosystem within which we all operate, the fabric of our society, the entire financial si- system. If you b- genuinely believe that that was about to completely implode and we were about to move to a new type of reality that was completely uncharted, that is the only that is the only future that you can believe in, where um, you would have to believe that it's not transitory. Which is a big step, right? That is a big that is a big step in belief. I, would you really be concerned about any
1: of the things with your property portfolio if that was going to happen? <laughs> <That was exactly laughs> it, it was I've, I've spoken to people about
0: this before, and that was the exact thing. I'm just like, well, at least I have this physical thing. <laughs> like, I'd rather the hedge of my bets, go. right? Yeah, 100 percent Because I'm like, that has value, that has utility, that has use. Sorry, Goose, you're gonna say.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's exactly right. Like, what if well, if that's true, then it doesn't matter anyway, right? It, so <laughs> so 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 great. So take a nihilistic, kind of like, you know, pragmatic point of view to it. Well, it probably doesn't matter anyway. And so, um yeah, anyway, that's 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 kind of the, the summation of the point. I think is that um, you'd have to believe that that is that, that you're going to have like a complete societal collapse for for that to kind of uh, transpire. Which I think, if you go back to GFC, people thought we were going to have a complete societal collapse. Didn't happen. Go back to April 2020. People thought we were going to have a complete societal collapse didn't happen right And so even in our kind of like lifetimes we can see where people have thought this way and have then moved on from it going oh well actually it wasn't that bad and i probably if i could have my time again the amount of people the amount of people in 2021 who said if i could go back to march 2020 and invest in property i would have bought every property i could find right sort of thing and vice versa and so hindsight's 2020 except for when you can develop the awareness to know the situation you're in uh, and to take advantage of it today
0: and it's interesting before we wrap up this episode I've got the greatest investment concept, which has always worked very well for me, which is any time that my dad has said, hey, have you heard about this thing called cryptocurrency? So, get out. Uh, The second he's like, there is a great investment opportunity, I'm like, I'm done. And the second (laughs) thing, then the the best time to get in is when my dad's like, dude, don't touch that asset. That's terrible. I'm like, I'm getting in. (laughs) Like, he's the greatest indicator of what, not to follow, and just do the complete opposite, and you'd be fine.
1: Not financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> not financial advice, You're <laughs> stepping on all the things we're not supposed to do
2: in this podcast. <laughs> Hang on a second. All he's talking but, about is negative correlation effects with his dad, right? So yeah, totally. before
1: you know it, some guy will drive out to where his dad is and start quizzing him and make some terrible like, financial decisions <laughs> and we'll be in hot water about that. <laughs> totally. Well, I think- I'll, Go I'll remove here. his address from the website.
2: Remove his address, definitely. I think it's, but I think it's, it's a very good point, right? Because what you're touching on there is like, the, is that he's a bellwether for consensus thinking, right? Correct and and when and that is a it's a great analogy because it's like yeah okay cool we can kind of if the people down oh, the cafe oh, hold the on what s- was his phone number again he <laughs> <laughs> should have a
0: hotline this is what I'm thinking
2: yeah it's, it's like the taxi driver Sorry, no. theory it's like it's like it, when if you're in a ta- you know that I used to hear all the time if you're in a taxi and taxi drivers are telling you to buy a property it's probably the wrong time to buy a property and stuff yeah. like that right so. Yeah, I think um, there's a great quote by Charles Darwin, um, which most people would probably know or maybe know the bastardization of it. But in fact, it says, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent. It is the one most adaptable to change. And I think that that, that really sums up how people should be thinking about this current environment. Like the situation or the environment is, it is neither good nor bad. Nothing carries any weight or any emotion other than that which we, with which we give it. And so if you can acknowledge that it is all just it just is and there is no feeling or emotion about it, you can then start to play chess and not checkers and work out, okay, cool. What do I want out of this situation? How do I want to feel in 12 months' time, in 24 months' time? And for some people, growth is not the solution. For some people, just sitting tight and playing it cool and just controlling their emotions and not doing anything dumb is a really great solution, right? Sometimes doing nothing is the right choice, (laughs) right? And so so understanding that but really taking the opportunity to objectively look at your situation and then say, yeah, who do I want to be on the other side of this? Who do I want to be in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months? five years, 10 years, and other actions that I'm taking today going to uh, move me closer towards becoming that person or move me further away, that'll help to start shape up the decision-making.
1: I feel like that is the perfect point to wrap this episode up on, guys. So I'm going to say a massive thank you for Goose for coming on the show. And once again, I imagine many people who are listening to this, their head should be slightly tilted. Going, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't think about it that way. So, big thank you for coming onto the show. Big thank you to everyone who tunes into this one. That's it for this episode, guys. Wrapping it up from you.